You're listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio, inspiring ideas, inspiring families. Today's topic is one I think you'll resonate with no matter your role. I say that to mothers, I say that to fathers, and fathers is where we will focus our time and attention. We know what the research says. Fathers play such an important role in the life of a child, and truly the bond of a child and their father, it's special, it's unique, and it's something that our guest today considers highly important in his life. Jason Wright has a special relationship with his dad, and he says fatherhood is the number one thing he talks about when he speaks to audiences around the country. Jason has written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and USA Today. He's a motivational speaker and a father himself. Can I add friend to your resume? A friend of mine, Jason, so great to chat with you always. Absolutely add that. We have been doing this a long time together, my friend. Well, I was a fan long before I was a friend. You have a way of putting words on paper that stirs the soul. Are you writing right now? Can you give us a sneak peek into your project file? What's keeping you busy? Well, I just, so during the um, the early stages of the pandemic, I wrote a novel called The Busta Gulf Breeze, um, which I wrote live online every day at the same time so that my readers could actually watch me write. What a fun um, exercise. In Google Docs. It was super fun and yeah. stressful, and I cried a lot, but it was a really cool <laughs> Did you feel the so pressure of all the eyeballs looking oh, in with every keystroke? Yes. Yeah, some, some days was, yeah, they, they were brutal. But it was a great experience, and I'm really, really happy with the the final product. So we're working with some publishers now to sort of figure out the best timing to release that. The industry has changed so much um, during this COVID time we're living in. So, And we are developing the Wednesday letters, which I'm so excited about that film. Christmas Jars, of course, um, has is now just finished second year. Um, so, so grateful for the response we've had from viewers really around the world now that have seen the film. And so we're sort of trying to ride that momentum to get the next one into development. And good. We'll, ju- we'll just keep on telling the stories, Brooke. That's what I love to do. It's what you're good at. It's your gift. And we're better because of it. And the magic, I have to imagine, the magic of seeing your words come to life in movie form, that was something, wasn't it? Oh, it was, I just, I bawled. The first time I saw it, I saw a c- kind of a rough screener at home on my laptop. But when yeah. I sat in a theater, um, actually at BYU, and I saw the film on the big screen, I just, push, and I'm sitting next to Jenny Ross, yes. the star of the movie. Yes. She keeps looking over like, dude, are you okay? <laughs> Pull I'm yourself like, together, really man. Not. <laughs> I'm not okay. Yeah, it was pretty, it was Humbling is a good word. As you brought your words to life yourself through your speaking adventures, you do talk about your dad quite a bit. And I've read articles you've written about the special relationship that you two shared. Is that just a natural topic you lean into? Do you feel called to speak on the topic, so to to speak, of fatherhood? Or how did you land on that? I think I landed on that because I realized um, a couple of things. One, I didn't grieve my father's passing very well. Uh, and I suppose there's no right way or wrong way to do it, but I don't think that I uh, did it as well as I could have well, looking I'll back. Elaborate on that. How so? I, I just think that the denial sort of phase lasted too long. I mean, I was I was 16 years old and I just kept expecting that I was going to wake up one day and be okay. Yeah. And I think it's so important for us when we go through those sorts of trials, particularly like that, losing a loved one, you need to look in the mirror and say, it is okay to not be okay. And I'm sad today, and that's just going to have to be okay. Especially at 16. I I mean, how is a brain supposed to process a loss like that? 
Absolutely. So yeah. it, it was a it was a struggle, but I just found myself telling stories at firesides or school events or even corporate events around the world. And time and time again, I was pointing back to lessons that my father had tried to teach, and I hadn't been paying attention. Mm. And now, after his death, reading his journals and talking with my family and remembering some of those real key anchor moments from my childhood, it's like, oh, that's the lesson. And even though he's gone, it's not too late to learn it and to share it. But so how cool are. that those lessons were in you, right? And they may have surfaced later or with time. I'm thinking of that recent Pixar movie, is it called Onward, where the two brothers are trying to explore lessons learned from their mm-hmm. dad. One knew the dad, had more time, you know, to spent with him before he passed away. The other brother is trying to search out that discovery process. Anyway, I reference that because I just think it's cool the lessons were in you. That speaks to the type of father you had. Absolutely. And maybe he knew all along that he was, you know, planting these seeds that while I might not, you know, open the gift right away, that that one at some point in my life I would and I have and I'm still working on it. Are there I we could talk for hours and hours, I'm sure, about the lessons you've learned. What are some of the standout ones? Maybe the top one or two that you find yourself still as a father yourself reflecting back and saying, Dad, thanks. Like thanks for teaching me that or thanks for showing me that. Great, great question, Brooke. And I know we have talked about this before, but it, it can't be said enough. You've got to to dedicate and schedule time with your kids. And sometimes I say that and people say, well, I I'm not going to schedule time with my kids. That's what you do for a meeting or at work or an interview or an appointment. But it's true that in the world we live in today, if you don't make them a priority and say, look, this is a crazy week for me, honey. So I'm, I'm just saying right now, Thursday night, six o'clock, we're going to eat a quick dinner and then I'm grabbing Johnny and we're going to go out for an hour to mini golf or to go bowling or to go for a hike or get ice cream, whatever it is. If you don't put something on the calendar and stay true to it, um, you'll pay the price and your kids will pay the price. So I'm all for spontaneous. I love that too. Sure. But I just, I learned from my dad that you have to schedule time and then protect it and make it sacred and help your kids to understand that your word is really your bond. If you say you're going to be there then be there. What type of activities or dates did you did you do with your dad? So much time in the car. We lived in the country. We lived uh, three or four miles outside of town. And some of my best memories are just the two of us in the car, uh, learning to drive, hearing his stories. Um, I mean, I have great memories of just my dad saying to me, you know, at eight o'clock on a Friday night, I really want to go to 7-Eleven. <laughs> you want to go to 7-Eleven? You, would you be interested in what, what kid says no to 7-Eleven at 8 or 9 o'clock? I mean, come Friday on, night? Slurpees. Always, always. Any time of day. We had great memories doing those sorts of things. And and I, you know, we, we built things together and we learned to write together. We served people in our community together. Um, it's interesting. I probably have, you know, thousands of memories through the years. But the ones that are the most colorful to me are where we were looking beyond ourselves and our own relationship to how we could lift other people. That's bonding, right? Anytime you can stretch outside of yourself, there's a different kind of connection that's formed through that service. I want to ask you more about that. But first, just reflecting back on the types of activities you mentioned, the 7-Eleven runs, the car rides. I didn't hear you saying a two-week trip to Europe. I didn't hear you saying a seven-day spend at Disneyland. They really were the simple moments. And I think that's something we, especially in our day and age, of bigger is better and loud and splashy. We sometimes underestimate those more in-between everyday opportunities. And that's what I hear you saying your father flexed were the the everyday moments too. Absolutely. One of those, for example, is going into the backyard when my dad would get home from work 
and he'd get out his pitching wedge. He loved to golf and he would work on his short game while I worked on catching fly balls. So he would get a wiffle ball and he would go a hundred yards back on our property and he would just chip shot wiffle balls at me for hours. <laughs> he worked on his game. I learned to catch. He encouraged me. That's awesome. I know we've talked once in the past about uh, our experience building a kite. Yes. I mean, yeah, we we did some more elaborate things as a, as a child. There were a few trips here and there, but all of the great memories were the two of us solving some kind of a problem. And in the case of a kite, it was that I just wanted to have the most unusual kite at the Boy Scout Kiteorama. <laughs> and my dad said, what do you have in mind? And I said, well, you know that thing that... Uh, you know, Snoopy flies around on with Woodstock and he's like, yeah, I got a doghouse, yada, yada. Uh-huh. I said, yeah, can we do that? And he looked me in the eyes and said, we can do that. So two weeks later, we went to McIntyre Park in Albemarle County, Virginia with hundreds of other scouts. We had the most bizarre looking kite that flew about 50 <laughs> feet off the ground, upside down. You did it. And the only, the only thing we won was the most uh, creative kite of the day. <laughs> and I, I have that ribbon still, but oh. it... Uh, that memory, it's right there forever, yeah. right? Best prize to win. Best prize to win. Proudest ribbon to hang on Absolutely. your shelf. Well, going back to the service piece, Jason, because I think a lot of times we're so anxious to forge fun moments with our kids. And I don't want to enter, you know, underplay the value of play or the value of those lighter moments. But service and work are, are two opportunities that I sometimes think, or at least I worry, I miss as a parent. Am I leaning into those service opportunities? Am I leaning in and using work as a chance to not just get things done, but to bond with my kids. How did your father make service kind of this living, acting value in your life? Yeah, I'm glad we're touching on this because this actually is one of those gifts that I really did not open until he was gone because Mm. there were times when I resented some of the service because it was so often unplanned. For example, you're driving home from church, you're in the car, you've been at church for a few hours, it's Sunday, you want to go home, have a snack, do your own thing, get out of your shirt and tie, and there's someone on the corner Uh, of a busy intersection in need. And so dad is looking at me or at the family and saying, hey, do we have just a few more minutes? And two hours later, we've given the guy a ride, 45 minutes, we bought him lunch, we've sent him off on his way and we're finally getting home. To my dad, that was just the most natural thing in the world that you would just pause and breathe and see someone in your circle of influence that day that you could serve. And and to me at the time, it was like, dad, this is like, we. We've been to church. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? We've checked that box. I know. And isn't that just so sad that I didn't realize <laughs> that we go to church so that we'll learn to better see the opportunities on the way home from church. <laughs> Fatherhood has, the role itself has evolved quite a bit over the last, you know, many decades. We're seeing more involved fathers. We're, you know, all good things. What is the next step, you think, for dads out there to be more engaged, to be more present, to have this kind of impact that your dad had on you? What's the next step for fathers, do you think? I think fathers have to learn to adapt. Um, you know, one of one of the most painful things is me sitting and listening to my boys talk about Minecraft or <laughs> Fortnite or whatever it is. My my eyes glaze over this and I will look great. at my wife from across the, the yes. floor of our house and say, please yes. save me from this discussion. <laughs> but but I have to meet them where they are, Brooke, and that's where they are. So right now I'm learning to play. Um, a couple of games for their on their PlayStation that they got 
I finally got them a PlayStation for Christmas. They're the last kids in the entire Commonwealth of Virginia to get <laughs> you one. You broke down. I know. And, you know, they got this, this Spider-Man game, which is insanely difficult to play. But if I want to be with them, and if I want to communicate to them that what matters to them matters to me, then I've got to spend some time. So I, I'm watching YouTube videos when they don't know it, learning these little tutorials on how to play this crazy But have you learned Fortnite Spider-Man dances? Game. That's what I want to know. Um, I can do the dances better than I can play the game. That's for sure. <laughs> no, that's such a brilliant point, though, because in this world of technology, and I'm going to say it, social media, your point of meeting them where they are becomes all the more valuable. Like they're texting, they're tweeting, they're doing these things. And it's so easy to want to just pull the covers over your head and go in your corner and do it your way. But I appreciate that lean in, even through the YouTube study, to try to figure out how how their mind works, what's interesting to them. And it doesn't mean that we don't try to pull them out of that world sure, so sure. that it's not too much in the virtual yes. world and too much in the phone or the games or whatever. But but yeah, if you want to get to know your kids, spend some time texting with them. I do that all the time with my boys, even if they're on the other side of the house, to see how they communicate, how they interact, how respectful they are. Of course, I check their phones all the time you gotta. to see who they're texting and what kinds of conversations they're having. But I think it's a powerful idea to... First of all, open your eyes and find your kids physically, emotionally, spiritually, and then go to them and be with them. And sometimes you might need to rescue them. How can women, how can mothers set up the men in their life to shine, to be better fathers ultimately? I mean, I know it's an individual pursuit and role and you come together collectively as parents, but any any thoughts there on how we can do a better job of teeing up our dads to succeed? Yeah, I I think this is a cliche, and I'm not the first person to say this. There are a lot more. There are a lot more smarter people in the world, Brooke, <laughs> who can say this better than I. But I I think it, at least in my case, watching how my mother acted and how my wife today acts, be a cheerleader for your husband and defend him and promote him. And when he is a few minutes late for that thing he promised to be there for, don't be critical. Be understanding. Be forgiving. Be patient. And, and help your child to understand that that sometimes he is going to be a few minutes late because life happens and COVID happens and traffic happens. And I think it's so important for the women in our lives, as we try to do for them and should reciprocate, of course, to just cheerlead for their husbands all the time. You know, you I hear my wife say to my boys um, and previously to my girls when they lived at home, you are so lucky to have this dad in your life. If you only knew how lucky, and I know half the time she's probably really biting her tongue for what she really wants to say. <laughs> I don't know. But bless her heart. She keeps it real. And she just, she complimenting me in front of them and me complimenting her in front of them. I just think it's uh, it's a magic potion. Oh, that's what, are you a writer or something? You should be a writer. A I've, magic I've potion. A, <laughs> a magic potion. Well, I don't want to backtrack too far, but as you talked about prioritizing fatherhood through those, those dates or those scheduled activities, any other ways you keep fatherhood a priority? I mean, life is busy. The pace, we've slowed down a little bit the last year, kind of been forced to do so, which I think has been really good actually for these family relationships at least. Um, but as we move forward and, and as the speed of life maybe picks up just a bit, how do we keep fatherhood and keep these relationships front and center? One thing that, that I do that I think works, and I, I teach this, I try to remind people of this often, is to remember the, the ultimate pattern of fatherhood is a father in heaven who loves us. And it doesn't matter your Christian faith. If you're a Christian, then you believe that we have a loving, literal father in heaven who's our creator, who knows us, who's perfect. And we are spiritual siblings on this journey home to him. And so I try to remind my children often that 
I, I do love them, but I love God a little bit more and they should too. And so I try to pattern my my um, embracing the importance of fatherhood every day on how I embrace my father, my father in heaven. And I know how much my father in heaven loves me. And I want my children to know that he loves me. And I want my children to know that just the way my father in heaven will forgive me when I make boneheaded mistakes, which are frequent, I can forgive my children for those boneheaded things that they do every day. But the more that my children and your children understand that we put that father first in all things, I think it strengthens that earthly father-child relationship. I love that. Well, and it makes that divine relationship more real and tangible. Um, We're quick to say I'm sorry around our house. I have littles on the ground, and so there's a lot of I'm sorry's flying around. But we happened to have an at-home church lesson as a family a couple weeks ago on forgiveness. And it's funny you bring that up because my five-year-old was quick to say, oh, so how I say I'm sorry to Boston, my brother, is how— you know, I can say I'm sorry. I mean, it was this beautiful, like scripted. I know, I know, fist pump, scripted motherhood moment that I couldn't have even, I couldn't have even planned out better. But there's so much um, symbolism in that relationship, right? That goes beyond just what's happening in front of our face. We talk about patterns in my home so much. My my children, I, I mean, they just their eyes roll out of their head when they hear Dad, me say again? it at this point. Again with the patterns, but everything points back to the creation, to yes. the garden to why we're here and to how we can make our way home and hopefully with those whom we love most in this life. And I just think connecting those dots for kids, even very, very young children, as you are so wisely doing with your five-year-old, is really critical to good parenting. Oh, well, I'll take that humble compliment, not not knowing <laughs> if I earned it or not. But in that moment, it felt really, really good, that, you know, 30-second period in time. I know this might seem like a cliche question. I'm imagining you're asked it a lot, Jason, especially since you speak about your own father so frequently. What would you—what do you think he would think about your work, about your success as a writer, inspiring people through light and goodness through the written word? What would he think about that? Oh, this is a hard one for me because if I if I'm being honest, I I there is this little voice in my head that thinks he'd he'd give me a noogie and say, I, "I'm glad you got there, but what took you so long? <laughs> what were you doing for all those years when you convinced yourself and everyone around you that you were the most important person on the planet? Because that was my <laughs> mo for so many years, Brooke. I mean, I can't even believe I'm talking to you. I'm so important today, Brooke. Why you am I are even, on that pedestal. I, I am so important. Um, I I hope my father has has forgiven me for the ego and the pride and and for spending so much of my life being self-centered. But I hope at this point, he's proud of the messages that I've tried to share and that I'm trying now to be my own dad. And I'm I'm different than my dad. Um, In some ways, not as strong, and in other ways, maybe even a little better. So I hope he's proud that I am trying every day to be a little better than the day before. Well, certainly proud that that topic, that theme of fatherhood, is a running theme in your work and in your projects. Best thing about being a dad, Jason Wright, do you have a number one that tops your list as far as payback, satisfaction, validation? What's the best part about it? I'll give you an answer that might surprise you. For me, the best thing about being a dad is having a wife. My my wife makes fatherhood matter. And I couldn't simply be the father I am today without her. She's the reason it works. What a beautiful ending note. Jason, I love talking to you any chance I can get. And I'm such a fan, such a cheerleader of the light and goodness that you're putting out into the world through your many projects. How can we keep up with you, my friend? How can we follow along with all the good you're doing? 
please find me on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Just search Jason Wright, author. I'm pretty easy to find. My website is easy to find. My books have websites. Most importantly, know that when you reach out to me on social media, unlike a few other authors, unfortunately, I've become familiar with in recent years, um, I don't pay someone to respond for me. So if you message me, if you email me, if you text me, you're always, always, always hearing back for me. And I hope that that authenticity matters to people because it matters to me. I've always felt that from you. I know your readers have as well. So Wednesday's letters, we're looking forward to it. Yes, hopefully uh, we'll be in production here in the next several months. That is, that's the prayer. All right. Well, not just saying this because I'm talking to you, but this really was a highlight of my week. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your perspective, your thoughtfulness, and your goodness. Let's talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. That was Jason Wright, New York Times bestselling author, talking about the importance of fatherhood. You've been listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. We hope you'll join us next time. Family Rules, the podcast is a production of BYU Broadcasting.